0: Marketing Sweats fans, I am thrilled to bring you the second episode of season three, where we continue with the theme of looking back to look forward. Jack Kluse, industry media icon, joins us on the show and will share stories and lessons from his 35 year career with the Publicis Group. I met Jack through our season two guest, Rashad Tabakawala, chief growth strategist for Publicis Group. After reading Rashad's book, I casually mentioned to him how much I'd like to meet his longtime coworker and friend, Jack, who he references several times in his stories. Jack specifically came up on the media side of the business, and like he'll share in the interview, he really wasn't that good at media, or numbers for that matter, by his own admission. Rather, Jack, I learned, had a different leadership quality, which allowed him to take on some of the biggest roles in the publicist group of companies, including serving as CEO of Starcom Media Best Group, Zenith OptiMedia, and Publicis Group Media, where he grew the organization globally and worked for bigger and bigger brands, often with bigger and bigger budgets, sometimes capping out in the many billions of dollars. As he notes in our interview, Jack always followed the basic tenet that smart media buying should be based on smart strategy. Take a listen to learn about a media icon that led how he would want to be led and dealt with some pretty amazing people along the way. I'm not sure I've met a more down-to-earth or humble ad guy, and I feel honored to have had the chance to meet him and give you the opportunity to meet him, too. So, Jack, I am so excited to talk to you today, and I thought maybe we could start today by just having you give us a little overview of the background in your career. I know you had a 35-year career in the agency business, and I'm super excited to learn from you today in terms of the leadership roles that you held. So kind of walk us through your background.
1: I started to get an interest in advertising somewhere in senior year of high school, freshman year of college. There was a book written by Marshall McLuhan, maybe you've read it, called The Media is the Message. Right. So I probably read that book four times. Uh, I was fascinated by the power that, the ma- that mass media had on opinion, behaviors, almost in you know, politics, almost anything it touched, and that fascination then spilled into needing to pick a career path in college and got my degree in advertising from the University of Illinois. So I got hired as an assistant account executive, Leo Burnett, started in the media department and uh, so stayed in the media operations and kind of grew inside it and ultimately became the US department head. So I just was happenstance was in the middle management, senior management position when Leo Burnett, with some convincing, saw the reason to spin off Leo Burnett Media into Stark on media services. And that was the beginning. And so sure. <laughs> I became a surprising, instead of a department head inside a, an agency that I still love deeply today, I was part of a sister company that just by very necessity needed to be separate, needed to be its own media business and no longer be a department of a full service ad agency. Right. Um, I remember when we were presenting the spin-off idea to the global CEO of the Leo Burnett company, he was reluctant, obviously. He, he mm-hmm. believed in its history and its rich culture as much as I did, in fact, even more so. He made an interesting comment, and thank goodness we had the CFO of the Leo Burnett company in our corner. He knew the truth, the real truth. He knew the numbers truth. Yep. He knew that the media department was not a cost center to an ad agency, but a profit center. What he didn't really know is once you started to parse out the the media costs from the media revenue driven, how much of a profit center we were. Right. And then now it becomes very clear why these media agencies in Europe and in the UK have sprung up so quickly and are so potent. It didn't take long to figure out that they were high profit business sure. And that, again, became the reason we, in part, got ourselves spun off, controlled our own destiny, controlled our own budgets, and therefore were able to buy the technology we needed, buy the people we needed, organically keep the people we needed, all because we had we had well, within our control our, our P&L.
0: Right. Well, and there was a portion of my career where I oversaw the paid media arm of our business. And certainly it is about scale. You know, when you can do things um, and have that buying power, you can make a lot more money. So that makes good sense. I want to interrupt you for a minute and back up. Now, one of the things I want to learn about you, Jack, is... What were your key strengths as a leader? You said you weren't necessarily super passionate about the numbers, the media. You kind of liked the creative side, even the strategy piece. It sounded like you were an operations guy. Did they see that you could see the big picture of the operation and make it run?
1: Yeah, perhaps. I, you know, Since I've already confessed to you that I almost flunked out of college, I almost <laughs> fired at the Leo Burnett company for my lack of attention to detail. First thing I guess I'd say is it's never been about me. And when it's not about yourself, but it's about your clients, about your subordinates and your peers.
0: I watched some of the videos and I read the interviews about you and I picked up on that. You seem like the kind of leader that was easy to approach, would brainstorm together and ask smart questions. It had to be a big decision every time you guys did a spinoff or an acquisition or you would go bigger for your leaders to come to you and say, this is yours now, Jack. So was it that people piece or what was it that you think it gained you those opportunities?
1: Somewhere in there is probably that I could secure trust quickly.
0: Mm, okay. You
1: don't give you responsibility unless I tr- didn't trust you. And I was probably, even up to my retirement days in Paris with Maurice Levy, if he was on this call, he'd say, sometimes you were just too honest.
0: Yeah, And
1: maybe I was, and I probably got burned by being too honest, too vulnerable. You get burned a few times, but at the end of the day, it's it's who who I am. It's how I I do believe I gain trust quickly. Mm -hmm. I never spoke a foreign language, and yet I had a global job for 15 years. And even to this day, some people ask me, well, you don't speak a foreign language. You're not a diplomat by training of any sort. I said, you know, it's really one of my old bosses, in fact, the global head of Leo Burnett Media, once says, the job really isn't much different. The people speak in a different language. They live in a different city. They eat different food. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and the cultures have some unique elements. But at the end of the day, they're still people. Mm-hmm. And all you really need to do is if you treat the people in these offices and in these countries with proper respect, and you treat their cultures with respect, And you do it often enough or fast enough that it didn't take long to get their trust. And then once you have their trust, there probably couldn't be anything more important than I could see to someone's future growth. As I've told my son this a thousand times, he's at a competitor now in Mindshare. Once you have trust, you can make dozens of mistakes. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room anymore. And in fact, what you'll do is you'll attract people who fill your weaknesses, Yes, which is something I think I can do a pretty good job of. And I think I always do a good job at connecting, Uh, connecting people to other people that needed each other, connecting, seeing a client's problem and finding a business or a service or a tool that would help solve that problem. As long as you don't see it's about yourself, and I don't mean to sound like I'm, you know, I'm no saint. But (laughs) as long as you don't see it as that it's a job, you're one person, and if your job is to connect smart people to other smart people, and that's how you win, then I'll stop with one last story about that is just how that pays forward in so many weird ways. We are in deep shit trouble on uh, the Disney business about, give or take, 10 years ago. Okay. We're... The chief marketing officer is really mad at the uh, woman who's running StarCom for me. Okay. Um, and uh, she's, I'm going to fire you. In fact, they did fire us. It was personal between them to some degree. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So I'm going to go in there and try to save this business. Right. And there's no saving this business. Showed up to a, a meeting pretty much just to, for formality's sake. Right out in Los Angeles, and she says to me, and she's in the audience, anyway, I started by, I apologized. I wasn't even sure what I was apologizing for entirely, but I knew something had to be bad. I knew it was personal.
0: Right.
1: And uh, I apologized to everyone, the client, and she was the lead client in the meeting. And she pulled me in, you know, and went through, and it was very polite, and she said, you know, I believe your apology. And she says, Do you know why I believe your apology and why I'm going to stick with you and why you're going to be in this pitch still to defend yourself? Is when I was a media planner in the StarCon UK office, you talked to me.
0: Oh my gosh. That's that me. gives me chills, Jack. <laughs>
1: How things were going, blah blah. I was like, right. Oh my gosh, really. I, I mean it would have and now she's still in the industry today, but it was such a weird thing to have someone come up to me and yeah, I was in definitely on the back foot and be able to say, you know what? I believe you because I've seen you before.
0: As I was reading your background and and looking at all of these global businesses that you ran and the amount of money you were managing on behalf of your clients, you do need that trust. And so that's amazing. I wanted to take this a step further. In the interviews that i read about you, you talk a lot about partners that you had over the years, right? Whether it was Rashad or others that you leaned on to run the businesses. And it seemed like you had very collaborative partnerships in terms of trying to figure out where to go next in terms of strategy and innovation. But... Maybe talk a little bit about some of those times when you were stepping into a new space and maybe didn't even have the confidence to know that you could do the job, or maybe you weren't 100% sure it was the right decision, and how you used your skills of trust building and connection to really set the stage for your team and your clients and make sure they could buy into that vision.
1: Well, somewhere in there too, Misty, is the fact that I think I have an inherent ability to surround myself with people who have skills that I know I need, but I don't have. Right. So it might start with, as I told you, I have an aversion to numbers. Love ideas, hate numbers. What was I doing in the media business? It's all data and numbers. That so
0: surprises me. I thought you had to be a numbers guy to be in media.
1: That's where, when I almost got fired, that's where I learned. Okay. Attention to detail. (laughs) Right. Attention to numeric detail, but it all goes together. So one of my first partnerships that I would attribute to any success I've had personally or collectively was that uh, my CFO, Frank Boris, was the head of Leo Burnett Finance, U.S. Mm-hmm. finance. And he came to me as we were forming Starcom and said, I really want to, do, I think you're going to need a financial officer. I said, yeah. And he says, I really like the opportunity. I think that I I want to do something different, and this looks like there's some big growth opportunity. Frank Voris was one of those people. Rashad obviously was. Rashad's the kind of person you need around who says, no matter how successful we got, and thank goodness we were, but no matter how successful, you're not that good, Jack. You're not. <laughs> not that good. I not only will tell you you're not so good. I'm going to prove it to you. Like I'm gonna. He would take me out annually. We'd go see. Two to three, what he called mind-expanding experiences. Okay. So there were no drugs or hallucinogens. You and- <laughs> would go see people that he knew and that right. knew him. That became extremely big businesses. And the idea was, maybe these are ideas that'll stick in the future. Maybe they aren't. Won't. But they clearly will give you the message that the world doesn't revolve around you. Yes, and and you yes. should help, and stop looking. Keep looking in your rearview mirror and keep looking forward, and stop and don't pat yourself on the back, kind of person. Sure, he's always been my chief provocateur. Yes, and I think he's playing that role now in many of these consulting C-suite gigs he's got. So there was Rashad, my next person I would have probably raised. That I wouldn't say we were always the closest of friends, but respectful colleagues okay. is when. Uh, Maurice bought Digitas and uh, Jack Clues met David Kenny.
0: Well, I've even listened to some of your phone calls with him. I could tell just through your dynamics, you were wired so differently, but yeah. you needed each other, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. David, definitely a big picture guy, not an operations guy. So mm-hmm. definitely. So that was a good compliment. Dave, I needed him to teach me that digital was truly the future and it was on top of me. Okay. I could sit there and figure out that, yeah, maybe it's something I got to pay a little attention to, but I'm having so much fun doing the other stuff. I want to get around to it. Right. That partnership and that need to learn from him, I wouldn't have got there on my own.
0: Yeah. I think we all went through that stage in our career where we needed to learn from the digital people, right? But the integration of all that was important. And the other thing I've heard you speak about is... It was never just media buying for media buying sake or technology or digital. It was really still keeping that account planning function at the forefront and keeping strategy at the forefront, probably from your Leo Burnett roots. Talk about that and how you, when you say you tried to stay involved in the business and in client work, was that a big part of your message?
1: It was. It may have all been by beautiful coincidence. I was the self-proclaimed worst media buyer Leo Burnett ever had. (laughs) Ever had. My best friend is still in the company, John Muszynski, is the best they've ever had.
0: Really? I am
1: the worst. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like the haggling, which means I'm a sucker for a car dealer. Sure. I just I, don't, you know, like you said, I just felt like I would say this hat was value of a dollar, and the sales rep would say $2, and we would go. We'd have some pithy conversations, time-consuming, some phone calls. And we'd settle at a dollar and a half. And I'd say, wow, what took so long? <laughs>
0: you know, sure. You're just a nice guy, Jack.
1: It isn't <laughs> that easy. But I was but self-proclaimed. So I didn't like buying, didn't like trading. Second thing, we, were, we couldn't be a fast follower. Yeah. There were too many agencies, too many media agencies in 1997. You know there's too many right now, don't you? Right,
0: yeah. For sure.
1: So there were too many even back then. So for us to go out and say we'll be the media buying arm, which is our was our strong suit, it was our reputation as, as the Leo Burnett Media Department. But if that's our, what we're going to hang our head on, let's, let's don't bother. Right. We have to jump. I almost said jump the shark. That would have been stupid. <laughs> we had to take a big leap from being another powerful US-based media buying enterprise to being a media consultancy Mm -hmm. and strategy at its core. That we didn't buy things because it was a low price. We bought the right things at the right price. And so a lot of our, it all had to be driven on strategy. It all had what's right for our client or the brand. And so that became sort of our point of difference in the marketplace because we were the only ones that were both planners and buyers but it also then ingrained us into a place where buying was important, but it wasn't our calling card. Yeah. When we went into our pitches and we wanted to show why we're so good, it was because we wanted to focus on innovation and ideation in the creative side of media, which some might say is an oxymoron.
0: Sure. So Jack, what was the high point of your career and what was the low point? I didn't ask you that one. So I kind of caught you by surprise there.
1: Did. I don't know if I have one. I, I remember one of the high points. I love winning new business. I'm, I am, one of the traits we didn't talk about because, I mean, I don't publicly acknowledge it is I am extremely competitive.
0: That doesn't surprise me about you.
1: I do absolutely despise losing. So to win and, and part of the attraction of staying in the media business is to be in pitches you sure. pitch against some of your competitors who are now among my friends, social media friends, and we laugh mm-hmm. about things we fought about and competed against. But the wins we got, they are higher than you can't be any more happy. To win General Motors buying assignment first and our planning assignment, then their buying assignment. But to win that plan to create GM PlanWorks, and at that time it was, God, 2000?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or it was a billion dollar client it was wow. awesome i it
0: can't was, even fathom a billion uh, dollar client so
1: and I, still, and I get the same goosebumps when i think about how long i personally chased samsung and i'm so proud that Samsung's still a big global client of the group okay but uh, i mean i chased the cmo i mean i for over 18 months and i'd call hey I mean, we'd have breakfast. Hey, I've got something. We do like little gift projects for them. Sure. And finally, when they decided they put that business up for pitch, it was like, we're going to win this.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So big global wins are awesome. Yeah. And then lesser but still rewarding things are, you know, especially it comes up when you're about to leave, like in retirement. And our head of our Moscow operations, and they just say the nicest things about you yeah and from parts of the world that Quincy, Illinois does not know, right Moscow, Dubai,
0: yeah,
1: Mumbai, and the like. So those are all rewarding things those are all those are all the personal rewarding things. the business rewarding things are pitch are big pitch wins, sure, downsides. I probably couldn't give you a great story about it, but I can almost tell you it will be when somebody who I gave authority to, and my trust betrayed me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you and I are similar in that way. I'm a very loyal person, and so I kind of expect that in return, but I I understand. And, and it's cool to hear you say, when you think back on your career, you think about those conversations that you feel like you really helped somebody. And I know for me, it, it's not so much about the work, it's about when I can help somebody's life move in the right direction, client or employee. So I feel you there, buddy. What about, okay, the topic of technology, being in ops and media, you had to be in so many conversations about technology purchases and support the business, but then also investment in, you know, technology companies and businesses. In reading about you, I had this feeling that you either had a gut sense that it was going to work or it wasn't. Is that true? Or did you continue to have to rely on the the leaders who really understood the platforms to make sure sure that you were doing the right thing for the business?
1: The truth, the first truth would be the the success rate, maybe 60-40. <laughs> really? Just, just a little more than on the good side. That's um, a good lesson. Yeah. And when they didn't work or when the technology was wrong, it was because I was impulsive. I, it was a technology that was answering the right problem, but it wasn't developed. It was the promise. And I bought the promise and I didn't see the real stuff, and I moved anyway. A little impulsive. When you do see the need, and you do see the product, and you win with it, you know, to this day, if Maurice Levy, again, was in the room, he would remind me and I'd remind him because the first major technology acquisition we made was from a couple guys out of Australia called. a product was called TARDIS. And it was a optimization routine that you bought and allocated inventory based on reach and most efficient reach that was a game changer the first i ever heard of it was during the practice gamble pitch we didn't i never and said so, well we got to have one
0: yeah
1: and so you we know, find these guys i see how the tool works it does work experiment with it but now i also know that my i got the people compared to my competitors who talk about this technology I've got the product and the people who walk the talk, and we won big businesses around the world, including GM buying from McCann Erickson at the time because of TARDIS. Now, Maurice thought when he signed off on the X million dollar purchase of the technology, clients would buy TARDIS as an add-on for a premium. Yeah, I bought TARDIS, and, I, and he never asked me, but I, nor did I ever tell him, TARDIS is the new cost of doing business. Right. We will grow if we have it. Mm. He would ask me to do ROI analyses on TARDIS about every two years for all the time I was with him because he never forgot. Right. And I'd do it, and I'd say, well, this, this is the price. These are the, this is the clients we win, and we get recurring revenue on for the last X years hmm and he accepted it. he accepted not to accept it right to this day he would tell you jack that was in i don't do a french accent well <laughs> he made such a mistake with Tardis.
0: oh really I
1: see i think
0: the, i think the lesson in that that is still so true for me today as a leader is you do see people buy the new and shiny right but they don't put the operational plan to make money on it and it sounds like you knew that at the time
1: Really, you find people who are like Rashad and others that are in the guts of data and and technology. I like to believe, and I like because of the consulting projects I still work on today, Mm I pick them because they're solving maybe an unsolvable problem, but they're solving a problem that if that tool existed, I would have been using it in my life. And so I've tried to always pick consulting projects and partnerships that in the ad tech space that are trying to solve a client problem rather than what I consciously avoid is I avoid, and because I've been asked to do these, I avoid anything that's going to put the agencies out of business. Okay. So, well, yeah. Buying sure. Anything that looks like my agency roots are going to be threatened. I just, well, I
0: love that you still support the agency world. Listeners, a little bit about some of your passion projects right now. I know you told me you're doing some volunteerism, but you've also got some investment in some businesses. Would love to hear about your retirement life, Jack.
1: Do I get another hour? No. Uh, <laughs> so retirement life—it's not evenly divided like I planned it, but I did have a plan. I'll tell you the thing I didn't do because if my wife's here in earshot, she'll go, "You did? You lied." Uh, <laughs> Self improvement. Self improvement part done is I go to exercise regularly. Good. Improvement point I don't do. I threatened to learn how to cook.
0: Never I'm, did, huh? Uh, I'm still <laughs> washing
1: dishes. That's all. So that's the personal improvement side. Sure. The, the charity side, I'm still highly committed. And this time of year in particular, there's the Off the Street Club down in West Garfield Park, oldest boys and girls club in the city, in probably one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country. But I love the club. I love the kids. And... Whether you're giving time or your money or both, you feel like you're making. You know, especially right now with all the civil unrest, you know, I feel like the, uh, we're on the, the spending time, energy, and money, and that's that's what we need to do. Education, yes. protecting the protecting West Side kids, making sure they see that there's a you know another few. Anyway, you, right. you can, I can get you about that one too.
0: No, we will definitely link to that organization for sure, and hopefully we can support you in that, Jack. That's really good work.
1: They're awesome especially keep an eye out for a link because September 14th is my 20th annual swing for the kids, all women's golf event.
0: Nice. Okay.
1: So only women can participate. And that was true 19 years ago, as it is the, its 20th year, but yeah, so keep an eye out for it. We'll be, we're still publicizing all cool. of
0: them, cool. you know,
1: toward the date, but anyway, back to, so there's some charity stuff. I, I'm trying to extract myself from my fraternity uh, board of trustees thing with the Young Men of Alpha Tau Omega.
0: Yes, you uh, and I connected on that front. Love those ATOs down yeah. at University of Illinois.
1: And then I, I just finished a, a three-year stint as the board of trustees chairs for St. Viter High School. So I think that's behind me now, only to be replaced by a two-year stint as the on the HLA board of my Florida, so <laughs> Florida community. So that's going on in the ad tech space. It's really two of them. One, I spend time more active. The other one calls when they need me, which is a good sign when you don't. So one of them's called Affinity Answers. Affinity Answers is, you know, they're out there building tools and techniques driven off of the of social off of social data. But uh, i really I think they've got some incredible ideas led by a really cool indian guy who unlike everyone, sell it's i said i told Shri that we live in a perception business perception yeah. reality you know he says no it's not him i said he refuses to sell the promise until the tool is proven wow so again all the more that i like him and i like working with him. then yeah. there's a, a company out of a young startup that came out of the skunk works of 1871 in chicago it now calls itself qual sites Okay. You gotta love their mission and vision. They want to bring artificial intelligence and automation to qualitative market research.
0: Oh, that's cool. That totally geek out on that for a little bit.
1: Yeah, so not another data and they're going to bring what has always been subjective. Right. uh, But to bring AI to that and to bring Automation and it's pretty cool stuff. So awesome. call sites, I, but they don't ask me much. It's a little <laughs> out of comfort zone, I guess. When my last my last plug, I uh, started at my own little uh, mentoring business from my experience with the fraternity boys called Mentridge, and it's an app-based alumni undergrad mentoring program. Obvious fits for sororities and fraternities because that's how it, the idea originated where you're matching alumni, in, uh, one-on-one alumni in various career paths with undergrads and the similar desire to get into that industry
0: mm-hmm.
1: and providing them with the connective and content blue to build, establish and build a relationship. Then I kind of go off from there. And that's the, the app-based component. It's in test phase. We'll see. I haven't lost interest in it, but it's also a bit of a money pit. <laughs>
0: I totally get that. But I love that you've taken sort of what I consider to be your brand and your legacy of connecting people and helping them grow into the technology space. So good for you. Keep pushing for see, it.
1: See, I wish I would have said
0: that. <laughs> That's I what I, I see, Jack.
1: Better. Good <laughs> on you.
0: We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to semanal.com slash blog for more content. You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. Well, hey, I know I've taken up a good bit of your time here. I would love it if we could end with some advice from you, some of your core truths or things that, you know, you would leave our listeners with, and then maybe a question that has been rolling around in your mind we could pass along to another.
1: The two things I leave, the two things that my father left me and I leave with my son and my mom, for this matter, on the first one, it was live by the golden rule. In every situation, if you treat people culture, whatever it is, if you treat them like you want to be treated, amazing stuff happens. Yeah. And it's so corny in no. central <laughs> Illinois, but it's so true. It is. And so that'd be the one. And my other one would be, it's a little bit more dark hued, but my dad would always say, because he would never get mad at me after a mistake happened, like wrecking the car or
0: something, <laughs> not that, that ever happened. Right.
1: But he would always say, uh, "You know, forewarned is forearmed."
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So he was a vi- and to the point it would drive you all; it could drive you crazy. Mhm. Anticipate the worst, and usually something less than the worst will happen. Yes. I think forewarned and forearmed is a is a good one. The question I'd leave for people: my question at the moment, because again, I see what's going on with my son and on doing his job online for the last few months. Yeah, and he's. A director level, not quite an officer about to be, but in the world that I grew up in, and Misty, the world you grew up in, you grew up because you found mentors, you found people who cared about you professionally as much as personally, and you made contact with clients on a human level. I don't think the screen thing's happening too good, no. and I don't know how. I don't know really how do people progress their careers in a online-dominant environment. I yeah. don't
0: know. I think that there is a lot that we're missing, for sure. But I also think that people like you wouldn't take meetings with people like me if we didn't have this technology in place. So I think this has been mm-hmm. such an instrumental time for people to really give more of themselves. And I wouldn't have had this opportunity with you and Rashad, without the idea of paying it forward. So I hope that everybody takes that lesson. I know I'm going to. Someday when I'm a big dog like you, I'm going to definitely extend my time and energy to to everyone and hopefully it's help terrible. them grow. It's a, it's a, it's <laughs> well, thank you, Jack, for your I time. I can't wait to share this discussion. I know that there are so many people that worked throughout all the agencies you led that are curious what you're up to and i'm glad i got the honor of being able to ask you all these questions
1: that's kind of you it was my honor it was a privilege and like i said there were many things areas you asked me about and made me a little nostalgic and a little weepy every now and then and so i I thank you for that
0: absolutely all right we'll keep in touch jack
1: will do misty good luck
0: soon Bye. bye You know, when I first met Jack, he called himself a dinosaur, and I laughed and said, Sir, you are an icon. You don't manage billions of dollars in media for some of the world's leading brands without something special. And hopefully, just by hearing his voice, you can tell there's something magic about this guy. He would never tell you, but Jack's had some pretty major accomplishments, including numerous industry honors, such as Media Person of the Year from the Festival of Media, Media Week's Media Director of the Year, and an Advertising Age Media Maven. Under his guidance, Publis' group, Media, was named the most creative global media agency by The Gun Report in its first year of existence. I took this interview to remind us all that in leadership, sometimes it's not about the strategy, it's not about the tactics, it's not even about how innovative you are. It's about how you treat people that gets the job done. And it's clear to me that Jack's leaders knew that his leading by the golden rule would allow these clients that one critical factor we're all seeking to achieve, trust. So with that, I wish you the best in your day, my friends. Be sure to visit marketingsweats.com so we can link you to all the good work Jack is doing in the world, including the Off the Street Club, the Alpha Tau Omega Fraternity, Affinity Answers, Qual Sites, and Mentored, his mentoring app for sororities and fraternities. Thanks again for tuning into this season. On our next episode, I'll be talking to heavy industry mining marketer, Tracy O'Brien, CMO of Turner Mining Group. I think you'll find a nice mix this season of agency folks and brand marketers. And Tracy is a brand side marketer with quite a bit of agency and brand marketing background. Tune in, subscribe, and give me a review. I appreciate all of them.